And um, man, I, I um, always, always, always rely upon the Holy Spirit to help us. Um, and, uh, but I'm just telling you tonight, he, 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 he's going to have to help you and he's going to have to help me because he's going to help us both, right? Jesus help us. I mean, he's going to help us both because there's some really, really important things. And, and um, he's, he's shown me a few, way, a, ways, a few different ways to try to say it and communicate it. But um, let me get, before I even read the verse, okay? If you're writing things down, write this down. Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Faith will flourish in an understanding heart. One more time, faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Now, that's the good news, and that's what we want to focus on. But the opposite of that is also true. Faith will be hindered, it'll be stymied, it'll be thwarted, perhaps even stopped altogether um, in a heart that does not understand. So what we're learning is that understanding is crucial um, to uh, our operating in uh, faith. And so that's kind of a direction that we're headed in tonight. And so let me do a little bit of review and we'll work our way up to that. Praise God. So Romans chapter 12 and verse number three, this is from the King James version. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to every man, the measure of faith. Now the context of thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think is to think that you can do what God's put you on this earth to do without Him, that you can do what God's put you on this earth and live the life that He's put you on this earth to live um, without faith, and that you can somehow be all that God created you to be um, without other born-again believers in your life working together with Him. So He's not telling us here to think um, lowly of ourselves. He's not telling us to have a low or poor self image or self-esteem or self-worth or self-confidence, but he's saying that if we disconnect ourselves from our Father, from faith, and from other members of the body of Christ, that we um, are in pride, uh, and, and that is what it means, of course, to, to have a, uh, an opinion of yourself that would be higher than you should have. But he says to think soberly as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, if we're going to think of ourselves in relationship to the measure of faith, then we're going to, and and it should equal us thinking pretty highly of ourselves, because remember what all this measure of faith can accomplish in this created realm. What all this measure of faith can enable us to do. Um, I mean, John said it, I think, you know, pretty clearly that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So, you know, some would say, you know, if you called yourself a world overcomer, if you called yourself, you know, someone that can overcome and rise above and be victorious over anything that this world can dish out, there would be some who would say, man, you, you, you think pretty highly of yourself. But no, see, that means you're thinking of yourself um, according to the measure of faith. You, you, you are realizing that, you know, without God, I'm nothing, but I'm not without him. And I can't do anything without Jesus, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so it's, it's the, the, the wrong, and to sum it up and simplify it, to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think is to think of yourself 
um, outside of these things, um, which again is pride. Now we've said that faith is a substance that can be measured and it's capable of releasing a spiritual force greater than any force of nature or darkness. We've often said that, um, I've also said that we often think of faith in terms of a theory or a philosophy existing in the mind. Thoughts and thinking are key factors in the overall operation of faith, but faith is first and foremost a spiritual substance. So in other words, there is a spiritual substance in your heart that Father God has shared with you, dealt to you, distributed to you, given to you, that is this measure of faith, this substance that's capable of releasing a spiritual force greater than any force of nature or darkness. Remember, we were at this point in the class uh, this evening. Jesus spoke to the fig tree. The disciples were like, how in the world did this happen? And he says, have faith in God. In other words, that is a, a demonstration of what, the, of, of what faith in God can accomplish. It can not only stop a fig tree from ever producing figs again, it can cause it to wither up at the roots. Now, Romans 10, 10, this is another verse that we've looked at. And here it says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we've been asking uh, an important question the last couple of weeks. And that important question is, um, what if the problem is not with our measure of faith, but what if the problem is with the heart that that measure of faith resides in and works from. And we've used the example of a light bulb in a lamp. And if the light bulb is not giving off light, we tend to think, well, there's something wrong with the bulb. But what if it's not a problem with the bulb, but a problem with the lamp itself? And so these are things that I believe the Holy Spirit has led us to examine because if Father God gave to us His measure of faith, and there's nothing wrong with the faith that He gave us, um, if He gave it to us, right? Now, we can allow it to be contaminated. We can allow it to be, uh, you know, with doubt and, and, and things of this nature. But if, if, if He gave us that faith, then it's, it's pure. It's, it's undefiled. It'll, it'll produce everything Jesus' measure of faith um, produced while he was here on this earth. That's why Jesus says the works that he did we could do also because he knew we, we had the same standing with Father. He knew that his kingdom was in us. Uh, he knew that the, his, the glory, the love, the faith, all of these things, Holy Spirit, all of these things um, available to him had also been made available to us. So faith is faith. <laughs> I know that's so simple, but I'm talking about the measure of faith. Um, but Again, it's dependent upon the heart it resides in and works from. So a perfectly good light bulb will not work in a broken or faulty lamp in the same way that perfectly good faith will not work in a broken, corrupted, or faulty heart. Are you picking up what I'm putting down tonight? Praise God. All right, so we've already kind of looked at some things generally. We may come back and, and focus more on some of those things um, we've mentioned things like unforgiveness, bitterness, um, perseverance, single-mindedness, um, endurance. You know, some of these things we often think of as, as character traits. Um, and again, it has to do with what's going on in your heart. But there was one condition of heart that Jesus spoke of early and often. And it's what he called 
hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. So this is where we were on last Wednesday night. And what we see, both Jesus saying it explicitly, but then also we see it implied, him saying it implicitly, is that faith in the disciples' hearts would not work or would not produce the kind of works and fruit and results in their lives that it should be producing because of the hardness of their heart. And so Matthew 13 and 15 is where we see a general uh, explanation of this. Jesus says, For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. So one of the things, before we move on from here, one of the things that I do want to point out to you is that um, our ability to hear the Word and to focus on the Word is directly connected to um, the condition of our hearts. Notice that Jesus says that their hearts were hardened because their um, ears uh, were hard of hearing the ears are hard of hearing because their eyes, they have closed. So when we say closed, it doesn't just mean like, you know, a little kid standing there with their eyes closed. Um, it means that they've closed their eyes to the things of God. And they have redirected their focus, their interest, their attention to other things. And we could just say things of this world or things of the flesh or things, uh, you know, cares of this life, life, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things are the categories that Jesus gave us in connection with this parable. But I illustrated this last week, and I'll illustrate it again um, tonight. When I was focused on an urgent email, Oliver was speaking to me, Gendidi, as he says, that I love to hear him say, um, and, and I finally heard Pam say, Honey, can you not hear him talking to you? Well, now she kind of snapped me out of it, and I heard him talking to me. But because my focus was directed towards the email, now my ears have become dull of hearing. And so this is what Jesus is saying. You know, in other places, his Sermon on the Mount, he talked about it in relationship to the, the health of the eye. And remember, he said, if your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. The whole body being full of light has to do with an understanding heart. But he went on to say that if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is the darkness? What is he talking about there? You almost like scratch your head and think he's giving us a riddle. No, he's saying if the way you look at things is influenced by darkness, if the way you perceive things and the way you process or I believe it ties in with understanding, the way you understand things um, is wrong, then how great will the wrongness be inside of you? And again, this ties in with something else Jesus said when he said, be careful, pay attention to how you hear. Not what you hear. What you hear is very important. But Jesus didn't just say, pay attention to what you hear. He said, pay attention to how you hear it. How you hear it. So how you hear something becomes the filter through which you process things that you hear. So think for a moment. Someone who uh, thinks that or has the understanding of God that, that God is out to get us, that God is just waiting for an opportunity to punish us, that, 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 that God is you know, mad, he's got a big stick, 
you know, woke, woke up on the wrong side of the bed and, and has a mat on now for the last 2,000 years. You know, if somebody has that kind of understanding that, that God will give you cancer to teach you something. You know, if, that's, if, that's, if that's the light that's in somebody, okay, then notice how that becomes the filter then through which they read the Bible. That becomes the filter through which they hear. It's not just what they're hearing, but it's how they're hearing it. You ever had anybody in your life that, that you know, if you gave them a few minutes, they could take good news and make it bad? You, you know, some breakthrough in your life, some, some exciting experience that you've had, and they feel like it's their duty and their responsibility in life to bring you down a notch or two so that when you leave, you're not quite as uh, encouraged and quite as hopeful as you were when you showed up. Notice that's how they process it. That's how they process it. The Bible says when we put our trust in, cursed is the man who puts his trust in man. Jeremiah says this one, right? That that, that man will not be able to even recognize good when it comes. In other words, good will be standing right in front of you. But based upon how you see it, how you understand it, how you look at it, how you perceive it. So if your perception's wrong, if the way you look at it is wrong, if you, if, if you have the, 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 the wrong way of understanding. Understanding is how you, how you assess sum something up and how you process assess and process and so that's what jesus is saying if your eye be single he's talking about a singular focus he's talking about you focused on him uh, uh seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you that if you put all of your eggs in his basket that it will open up your heart to understand and see things and and see them in a way that other people do not see do do not look at those things now i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself but i I just want to plant this thought as we move on it's more than obvious that jesus understood things differently than the people around him come on now are you right am i right about this he understood things differently than the than than the people who were around him he understood things differently not just from the crowds but he understood things differently from the those men who were the closest to him who were the most dedicated to him, those who were hanging on his every word. Um, you even go to the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Um, those men were privy to things that even the other nine disciples, I mean, they saw things that Jesus said, you can't tell anybody you saw this until after my resurrection. Uh, and yet they still, they did not understand things the way Jesus understood them. I'm offering to you again that faith flourishes in an understanding heart. And, and because of Jesus' heart and because of his understanding, we see his faith flourishing. Now, again, I am almost, I'm really at the, I'm not finished, but I'm way ahead in my notes. But while we're here, alongside Jesus understanding things much differently than the way everybody else understood them, It'd be very easy for us to say, well, yeah, but he was Jesus, and that's just what Jesus does. But no, no, alongside that reality, him understanding things in a way that that no one else understood him, we see him desperately trying to get other people to understand them as he did. It wasn't like Jesus said, well, you know, this is for me to understand. You guys will never understand this. I mean. You know, there were things that he said, look, I've got a lot to tell you, but you, until the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, you won't be able to understand it. But there were all kinds of other things. But even then, notice, even those things, Jesus was like, not now, but later. 
He didn't say never. He just said not now but later. But there were all kinds of things that you know, Jesus had a perspective on that, that he so longed for his disciples. Are you one of his disciples tonight, right? For his disciples. I'm not just talking about those 12. I'm talking about all of us. That he so desperately wanted them to see it and understand it the way he saw it and the way they understood it. And, and every time that there would be one of those situations, I say every time, most of the time when there would be one of those situations, I hadn't searched out every single one, it may be every time, we would see Jesus would, would um, rebuke them, he would correct them, and, 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 and would say something about their hearts being hardened. And, and then he would say, like, later in his time with him, like a year or two later, whatever, you know, he would say, how is it that your hearts are still hardened? How is it that you still don't understand? How is it that you're still processing and, and assessing situations based upon the way you assessed and processed them before you ever saw me? You still, you, you still understand the same way you understood before you ever heard my name a single time. If you think about it, Jesus taught us about faith. But if you, if you put on one side how many times Jesus addressed a person's faith, now he would point out positive faith. He would point out, you know, your faith has made you whole. I've not seen so great faith in all of, of Israel. You know, but compare what Jesus had to say about an individual person's faith, especially if you compare it in a corrected sense. Even like with Peter, he didn't say what happened to your faith. He said, why did you doubt? Compare that to all the things, though, that Jesus taught us about our heart. Jesus, Jesus I mean, I, certainly, he, I'm not trying to say Jesus didn't emphasize faith. He did. But when it came to teaching and correcting and, and, and trying to bring things into an alignment, he spent far more time addressing the lamp than the bulb. See, he spent far more time talking about the condition of their heart because, again, faith will flourish in an understanding heart. All right, now, their hearts have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears. If you focus with your eyes, you'll hear with your ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So anytime we talk about turn... Turn is, is like a, a repentance word. Um, the idea behind turning means, like if I'm headed in this direction and I turn, now I'm going in a different direction. So here he's talking about, though, the condition of someone's heart. And, and not just a turning of the head. Let me, let, me, let me see if I can say it this way. What you focus on has to turn in order for your heart to turn. What you're focused on has to turn in order for you to hear more clearly what you need to hear so that your heart can turn and follow suit. Are, are you seeing this? In other words, Jesus would, would talk to them about them not seeing and them not hearing when they could repeat back to him what he just said. He's not talking about them being able to regurgitate the parable he just taught. He's talking about the focus shifting their ability to hear changing, and then their hearts turning. Their hearts turning. Let me say it another way. If your focus never changes, your heart will never turn. This is why um, Jesus you know, talked about, and he quoted like from Malachi, 
to, to you know, uh, John, I'm sorry, talked about he's come to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Um, in other words, what is he saying? If a man won't change, you know, to make a difference and, and a better life for his children, then what will he change for? What will he turn for? So, again, it's this idea of, of our hearts turning. So, the disciples' hearts were headed in this direction. Jesus is trying to turn their hearts in a, in a different direction. And so, they're seeing all these miracles. They're experiencing all these miracles. They're participating. Their hands-on miracles are happening in and through and by their hands. But their hearts, their hearts never turned. Their hearts never turned. And so, th- th- this, is, this is what we mean by... Um, by understanding, uh, you know, if, if the heart is hardened, um, some of you can relate to this firsthand. Others can relate to it in theory, all right? But think of a, a rusted bolt that, that's, you know, been locked into place, and it's, it's on a rusty nut, and now you've got a wrench, and you're trying to turn it. But that thing has become so set in its place or set in its ways that it's, it's very difficult, it's, it, you know, seemingly impossible. You know, my dad taught me, you know, WD-40, uh, pry bar, you know, get leverage, I mean, all these things. But ultimately what you're trying to do is break it loose, you know, so it can turn. So when he talks about the heart being hardened and it needing to turn, that's kind of the image that I get in my mind is, you know, it's one thing if you've got a bolt that you can turn with your hand. Uh, it's another one if you've got one that's been rusted in place for 35 years and now you're trying to turn it. Um, and so we want to have the kind of heart that Father can just gently put his, the hand of His Holy Spirit on and, and turn us, right? <laughs> Instead of one that's so locked in, so rigid, so set, that try as He may, our hearts never turn. So an, another, I think, visualization of, of what he says here about the heart growing dull, the heart uh, becoming hardened, and then the connection between your focus, what you're hearing, and then how that affects um, your heart. So <clears throat> let's go uh, to Mark chapter 6 now and uh, in verse number 45. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 45. Let me, um, while you turn there, I know I said some of this last week, uh, some of it I did not get around to saying, um, but ultimately what Jesus is saying here is um, lest they understand with their hearts, turn so that I can heal them, so that I could heal them. So notice now there's only so much that Jesus can do in your life without your heart turning. He's talking about what he's wanting to do in their life, what the changes he's wanting to make in their, in their family, in their family tree. But, you know, if the heart doesn't turn, it limits his ability to, to work and operate in them. Now, in the time that we have remaining, I want to just talk to you a little more about this idea of what it means to understand. Um, uh, in, in my book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction, we break down in a real simplistic way, the difference between um, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And so Jesus is talking about understanding here. Um, Understanding has to do with, you know, 
you recognizing, again, how something works, how something uh, you know, functions, the difference between understanding and wisdom is once you understand that, then you can use that understanding to produce a result. So wisdom is taking your knowledge and your understanding and, and applying it. And in the book, I use a simple example of you can know numbers, but knowing numbers is not the same thing as understanding how to add, subtract, multiply, divide the numbers. You can know four, seven, nine, eight, a hundred, um, and that's knowledge. But understanding is when you recognize what four and five have to do with one another in relationship to one another, what you know five four times is, it's 20, this kind of thing. So now so you've developed an understanding which means you can now balance a checkbook. See, that's wisdom. Wisdom is being able to take the understanding and apply it in a way to get a positive result um, in your life or, or, or in someone else's life. Okay? So here Jesus is talking about the understanding in the heart that's necessary so that the results um, of faith and, 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 and all else you know, can be realized uh, not just in uh, the individual life, uh, but in, in the lives of other people. I mean, that, that was thousands of hungry people that Jesus fed by faith. And so he's, he, his desire is to teach the disciples how to do that. Now, they could have taken a little boy's lunch. They could have, you know, written down the prayer that Jesus prayed over it and, and, and quoted that prayer. Um, but the food would, I don't, you can disagree with it if you want to, but as long as they don't understand, it's going to limit the faith necessary to actually multiply the food. So, again, that's where the, the understanding in the heart is concerned. So, let's um, take that simple uh, thought of understanding and, and dig into it a, a, little, a little deeper, okay? So, understand has to do with the ability to assemble individual facts into an organized whole. It's like collecting the pieces of puzzle and putting them together. This is, this is where, you know, we say the mind, but, but this is also, you know, in, in the heart of a man, the soul of a man, the mind being something separate from the meat computer, is able to grasp concepts and, and, and see the proper relationship between them. Now, I know that's kind of wordy, and, and I don't expect you to necessarily, un, you know, memorize that. I started to say understand it, but memorize it. Um, but again, to simplify, understanding then is speaking of the ability to connect similar things together. But now here, here's the, because we have an enemy who's always trying to confuse us. He's the author of confusion. So what does the enemy do? The enemy is always trying to put pieces in our lives that don't fit with a puzzle. So that, you know, you, know, you, you have a, a thousand piece puzzle, you dump it out, count the pieces, and you've got 1,200 pieces there. 200 of those don't even belong in that box. So that's what the enemy tries to, to do. He, he tries to bring things into situations in our lives to where we don't know if it's God or, or not. This is why you've got to know what the Word says. This is why you've got to have uh, you know, understanding to recognize this isn't from God. This is from the enemy. This isn't how things work. This is, this is a lie from the enemy. This is what tradition says. This is what religion says. But this is not what thus says the word of the living God. So, um, praise God. 
Paul said when he was a child, I used this last week in 1 Corinthians 13, he said when he was a child, he understood as a child. So it's back to how you process things, how you look at things, how you view things. This is what he's talking about, um, our, uh, our understanding. Now, praise God. Let me, let me read this um, passage right quick. Mark 6, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he, while he sent the multitude away. Jesus had just miraculously fed folks, and the miracle had taken place in the hands of the disciples. They participated in this and then picked up 12 baskets. Let's see, do the math. 12 disciples, 12 baskets full of fish and bread left over after feeding thousands of people. So Jesus told them to get in the boat. It's been a long day, boys. Get in the boat. Go across. I'll catch up with you later. I'm going to stay here and top some loose ends with the multitude. So Jesus sent the multitude away while the disciples departed. And when he sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and, he, and, and Jesus was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. Now, let me stop right here. (laughs) Supposed. See, this is revealing their understanding. Um, In another, I don't know if we have time to get back to it tonight, but in another place, Jesus talked about how they reasoned. Again, supposition, where you suppose something, you assume something, right? Right? All of those things are the product of a man or a woman's understanding. Based on how they understood what they were seeing in that moment. Are you following me? What is understanding? Understanding is how you assess and process. Okay? So, from their perspective, they're in the boat. The the, the wind's against them. This is getting serious. People have died in less situations out on these open waters in the middle of the night. So fear is rising up in them. Now, here comes Jesus walking on the water, and their understanding brings them to this conclusion. Here comes a ghost to get us. It's just gone from bad to worse. I'm sure they probably heard the howling of the wind, right? I got a story to tell you about that from my childhood that we don't have time for right now. Amen. Uh, Where the window was not quite closed and the wind outside was making that howling sound. And I was just sure there was a a ghost or something in in, in my room. I was so terrified I couldn't couldn't even scream until it finally woke Matt up and he he screamed. And, uh, And Daddy came and shut the window. Praise God. All right? But I supposed... There was some boogeyman in my bedroom. Uh, you know, I was on the bottom bunk. Matt was on the top bunk. We were much smaller in those days, I promise you. And, um, but I was, I, I supposed, I, I was sure, based upon my however six, seven-year-old mind, my understanding was, well, here, we got grown men. It's an omen. You know, I've heard tales of the ghosts that wander these waters from people who've drowned in days gone by. Now they're coming to snatch our souls. You know, this is, this is, this is how they're thinking. They supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. 
See, they should not have been troubled by this. This is a clue that they, have, they don't understand what's going on here. When you're in a situation in the, in, the, in the middle of a body of water and you've got a really good chance of the boat capsizing and you drowning and Jesus comes walking to you on the water, this is not fright and crying out in, in fear and supposing it's a ghost and being troubled. But see, that's their understanding. That's how they assessed and processed what was going on. You see this, right? This, this, is what, this is what, oh, I almost said something silly here. When I say it bugged Jesus, is it okay if I say, things bothered Jesus. You do know that, right? It bothered him that they were taking advantage of people in the temple. He braided a cord and drove them out, right? This bothered Jesus. I don't think I'm blaspheming by saying this. It bothered him. But they all saw him troubled. But immediately he talked to them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. He told them to cheer up, right? Then he went up into the boat to them. The wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Now, listen, I know that we read this and we think, well, they should have been greatly amazed. They should have, um, you know, being greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. On the surface, we, th- we think that. But again, this is revealing their understanding. They're acting as if they've never seen a miracle. They're acting as if they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. They're acting as if they've never seen Him uh, stare down a, a, a violent storm and, and, and tell it to hush. They're acting like they've never seen him raise somebody from the dead. They're acting like they've never seen him dispatch a legion of demons into a herd of swine. They're acting like they've never seen him. Uh, and I could just go on and on and on and on. But the reality of it is they've seen every bit of that. They've done a lot of it themselves. But it's, it's, it's as if none of that ever happened. And for the first time we're seeing Jesus do a miracle. Are you, are, you, are you picking up what I'm... Are you following me? This is, what, this, is, this is why Jesus said what He said next. Or what the Bible says next. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. The bolt was set in rust. And Jesus had banged on it, casting out demons. He had banged on it, um, raising the dead. He had banged on it. Uh, multiplying food, he banged on it by healing their family. I mean, just twist and turn. Every, every bit of that was designed to turn their hearts. They just, I mean, hours before they saw this happen. Now, consider how the disciples assessed and processed the situation going on around them. And, that, and that's why you see their understanding. And you see how it hindered, it hampered their faith. Now, I'm winding down right here, okay? This is, this is the part, and I want you to follow this now, please, okay? There is a certain, I got a few words here, progression. These are the words the Holy Spirit, I believe, gave me. Progression, flow, like something flowing, 
and even momentum when it comes to understanding. Follow me now. Logic and reasoning are not static or stationary things. Let me give you an example. We often say what? We are thinking something through. Through implies what? Motion from one place to another. We're thinking it through. So when I say there is a flow or a progression, even a momentum to understanding, logic and reasoning are not static things. We think through things. It goes something like this. If that is true, then it only makes sense that this is true. See, this is, this is how understanding is, is developed um, within us. Or, if that's right, and so whatever that is, we're, we're talking about, you know, we're, we're pretty certain that that's right. So, now, understanding then says, because now, we're, now we've got something new that we're assessing. Now we've got something new that we're processing. And, and what do we do? We try to find some experience. We try to find some uh, understanding that already exists within us to make sense of the new situation, the, the, the new thing. So that goes something like this. If that is right, then it's safe to assume that this is right also because this seems to be related to or similar to something else, the other thing. Am I losing you? Have I gone too long already? Just stay with me now. Stay with me. Praise God. All right. So the idea then is, and, and here's, and, I, and I'll finish right here. Understanding determines expectations. See how you understand something determines, I could even, and thank you, Holy Spirit, I, I should probably go ahead and say predetermines expectations. In other words, your understanding has, has become established in your heart and mind. And so now that goes out ahead of you and, and determines what you expect because it's how you process and assess. In other words, you, if, if, you, if you understand like a child, anything and everything that you experience in life is going to be assessed and processed from the perspective of a child. Which means everything in your life that you assess and process is only going to be at best partially, uh, uh, you know, processed and assessed correctly. I'm trying to squeeze too much in here. All right. So understanding determines expectations. See, this is why the, the disciples saw all these miracles, but then they never expected the next one. <laughs> the next thing that Jesus does, they're they're in themselves. They're greatly amazed they're in awe they're, they're shazam wow never seen nothing like it it's amazing then it's almost like somebody pushes a reset button they see another miracle and they're going wow shazam yeah and and at some point jesus is like that's why he says they didn't understand about the, the loaves because he walked on the water that should have created an under i'm sorry because he multiplied the fish and the loaves that should have created an understanding in them that didn't absolutely boggle their mind when he walked on water they should have understood he, this this is this is supernatural this is spiritual i mean if, if he can if he can um you know if if he did that with the fish 
then why is it such an amazing thing that he can walk on water? See, if that, then this. But their understanding was nobody can walk on water. And even after Jesus did it, they still, well, you know, I mean, Jesus did it, but he's Jesus. And I don't know how he was able to, it's, it's kind of that mindset, all right? See, the, the, if it worked once, then it should work again. Stand with me, I'm finished. Okay, see, here's the thing. This is how understanding is developed in us. If it worked once, then it should work again. Okay? Are you with me? If it worked once, then it should work again. But notice, there's a, you know, not definitely, you know, we're not necessarily sure about that. So what? And when it works again, we become a little more confident that it'll work the next time. And so this is how our understanding is developed based upon what we've already experienced, what's worked in the past, and by what hasn't seemed to work in the past. And so now, you know, this is the way we, you know, understand things. So Jesus comes along with a completely different understanding, which is enabling him to do all these different things. And even the men who witnessed them, participated in them, right there front row seat, in all of it, every time he did it, it, it never translated to, if he multiplied food once, he can multiply it again. If he taught us how to multiply food, then we can multiply food. If he taught us how to take authority over a storm, then we can take an authority over a storm. It, it, that was what Jesus was, was wanting them to understand. Or let me say it another way, how he wanted them to see it. Or he, he, wanting them to see it the way he saw it, understand it the way he understood all right, Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Father, make us aware of these things by your Holy Spirit in, in real time, real life, circumstances and situations, Lord. Help us, Lord, see in our own hearts, you know, where our reasoning and, and the way we process things is carrying us away from uh, faith, carrying us away from, um, you know, what would make the difference in our lives and, and, Lord, that our hearts would turn, that, 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 that our, our, our understanding would shift, and, and that, that you would unlock and, and, and begin to reveal to us, Father, um, the proper understanding that we should have as your sons and daughters in the earth. Thank you, Lord, that everything we put our hands to prospers for your glory. We thank you for good things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being blessed and, and blessing me. Uh, by being here. Amen. Tell somebody around you good things uh, coming, and you have a great week. We'll see you Sunday morning at 1030, if not before. Praise God.